My wife just told me I was preaching, so I figured I better get up here. So I'm standing back there. <laughs> she goes, get up there. <laughs> uh, one of the many reasons I not only have, but need a wife. So, well, good morning. <laughs> I already had something ready just this time. It wasn't like once that other time when she said, you're preaching, and I went, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Uh, let's just open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll get to the word of God. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this day. Thanks that we can all be here together, and uh, I just thank you for this church and the body of believers you've brought together. Thanks so much for your word, for the freedom we have to to preach it, read it, study it, and show that we are um, living as Christians. We and so I just ask you just help us to to grab that and and run with it. So, Lord, I just ask that you just use me today, and as I present your word, just speak through me, and may we have a, a good time studying your word. Not just a fun time, but uh, but just a great time of learning. So, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There, there are probably few things that can get, get us, I'm going to say me for sure, us more irritated than other, and I had that in capital O-T-H-E-R's, um, other drivers, um, and uh, because it's a it's a quick way I know for all of us to just test every patience we ever have. Here's a little history, um, um, if you don't remember all of this stuff about Missoula regarding Reserve Street, um, which we all love to hate. And some of you remember this, and some won't. Um, you'll go, wow, that road didn't go used to go through. It didn't used to be a four lane. No, I can remember when Reserve Street not only didn't go through, I mean, it stopped at Mullen Road on the, on the north side and River Road on the south side. And in between it, there was two or three, I think it's two bridges that had no roads to them. And they were there for years. And, uh, and then they finally put the road through. And it was, as I remind you, Reserve Street was one long, one two lane, one lane each direction road. The bad thing for me was 90% of my work was on the south side of Missoula. So I got to drive that stupid road every day, both ways. Well, they finally began to widen the road. And, uh, and ultimately they had, um, not ultimately, but before ultimately, they had a two-lane road, each uh, four-lane road, each direction, until you got to Mullen Road and until you got to, 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 to Third Street, because the bridges were only one lane each way. So there was what we all call a bottleneck. So I can remember coming to this, uh, after it was, you know, it's like you got two lanes of sitting at the lights and it's gonna bottleneck down to go across the bridges. And it was like a drag race. It was like a drag race when you stop it. I got a new sermon, so. But it was like a drag, a drag race. The light would turn green and people go. I'm telling you, a, a big V8 engine was the best solution to the whole thing. Or you were just really patient and just backed off and let everybody go by and finally you'd pull in. Well, there was, uh, there was and it's, it was just definitely the test of patience. And there was lots of open window with single hand gestures coming out and all kinds of things, horns honking. It was a mess. And uh, one time I was there with my young family. Um, I'm at like Third Street and we're taking off and some guy cuts me off. And fortunately, 
because I had my family in the car, I bit my tongue. And I wasn't in the habit of flinging my hand out the window like I wanted to so many times. But uh, Renee, who was, I don't know, she's five or six, sitting in the back seat, she goes, Daddy, was that man a moron? <laughs> yes, he was. And, I, and that caused me a couple things. First of all, to be thankful that whenever I did verbalize with my family in there, and, and most of the time anyway, I, my word was moron, not something else. And it also taught me a second thing is, was that I had to be really careful with what I said and when I said it, because obviously little ears were hearing it. And um, so it's, uh, so anyway, they finally did put two lanes across the whole thing, but there's the history of Missoula, a little bit of history, and there's still lots of places like that, but there's still lots of morons out there on the road. It's a family joke, and, and I only did this when my kids were much older. And I used to always joke, I said, I said, okay, I'll drive up here. You flip them off for me. And uh, so it still, my, it still make, gives my wife, she just goes, oh, I wish you wouldn't say that. Well, now my kids say it. <laughs> so, but it's uh, at least, like I said, they're older, so none of us do that. It's just a family joke. And I even tell Suzette when she verbalizes, look what he did. And I say, you pull up there and I'll flip him off. And so she wisely doesn't pull up there just in case I might. Might do something, but I haven't, so it's good. All that to say, the title of this sermon and where we're going to start off, this actually, this, uh, this sermon started off in the middle of what this passage. I'm going to just read a whole passage here, and then we're going to go back, and it, it's probably going to take me three or four times of doing this. But, uh, but I, I started a little series on parables, and I, I told, uh, not that everybody remembers that, but when I started, I said this might be a one-week series, it might be a several-week series. And uh, so I was... I have been looking at the parables, and, and this passage in Luke chapter 7, or chapter 6, is, a, is actually a passage with a, with a bunch of short little parables that don't even get classified as parables most of the time when you look at a list of the parables of Jesus. But let me just, uh, let me just read this whole passage, at least this chunk anyway, um, in starting at, in Luke chapter 6, I'm going to start at verse 27. I'm going to read all the way through, oh, through what I call the parables anyway, through verse 42. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27. But I tell you, who, I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those that mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Also, if, if, someone, if someone takes your, your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what, you, what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners have loved those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is most merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your, from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from a thorn bush or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. I said 42, but I mean even farther. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you, do what I, why do you not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torment struck the house, the ha uh, struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. That in, in Matthew, that's, that's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's just, there's a lot of this very same stuff in that. And, and if you just, you can just kind of picture the people looking as Jesus is talking, and he's just clicking out all this stuff that I always call the staccato sermon. Um, he's just spitting out a bunch of stuff, and the people are just going, and they're shaking their heads, and some of it they liked, and some of it they didn't like, I'm sure. It was just like totally different than what they'd ever heard before. It was different than the way their teachers had taught them. All the way through, he's just basically saying, if you think this, then do the opposite. Because it's, because it's just what, um, it's what you want to do. You think all these things. If somebody did that to me, I'm going to get them back. Um, all the way through, it's a whole passage that's full of that. And, and he even closes this whole passage out. If you listen to me, this is what it's like. Well, that's all of that is what you're going to get over the next four or five months as I preach once a month. Um, so um, don't panic. I'm not going to preach it all. But, and I won't preach all of it today because we'd be here for a long time. And, uh, and I'm not going to be here for that long. But no matter what, it's, uh, it, there's a whole bunch of stuff here that Jesus says. And, and the, bottom of the, the bottom line is what he's trying to say is, is if you want to follow me, and if you want to be like me, if you want to have a right relationship with God, this is how you need to live. Jesus is the Lord of my life, we often say, which means Jesus is the ruler of my life. This would include my responses to all people, including difficult people. Here Jesus, in this whole passage, he gives us guidelines for handling difficult people. Here we find Jesus' clear instructions for many different situations. We all need to know them, understand them, and most importantly, practice them through the Holy Spirit's help. This message will have application to every one of us because it's difficult people that are a problem to everybody. It doesn't matter your age, your gender, your personality type, because we all meet with difficult people. Certainly, we can't avoid them at all unless we just totally hide out. 
When I say difficult people, I'm referring to people we often refer to as jerks, our enemies, morons. Um, when we use that term, uh, difficult people, it, it means that they're, they're people that have mistreated us, they speak evil of us, who do harm to us, irritate the snot out of us when we're driving. They may, they may be the stranger, um, maybe a stranger, such as on a roadway, a coworker or an employer that is difficult. People in your life might be, it might be uh, an ex-spouse or somebody else, even a current spouse. I heard a comedian not long ago that was really funny. He says, you know, he says, coming from a small town is both good and bad. He says, but when you get off, when you cut off by a driver and you got to yell out the, out the window, mom, don't do that again. So, but we can all relate to that because it's like, yeah, when you get cut off in Ovando, you want to be really careful because it might be your neighbor or the, the one that you're following to church. So anyway, it, uh, these people could be uh, a neighbor, a former friend, it could even be a criminal or it might even be in a government official or just the government period. They may be, it might be somebody who pushes all of our buttons. Sometimes these difficult people are those who just plain annoy us. And sometimes they are not our enemies necessarily, but they really are our enemies with, with what Jesus is talking about. Jesus has given us instruct, instructions for handling and dealing with these difficult people. We must do more than agree with Jesus' words or advocate them for others. We must adhere to, the, to God's standards for ourselves. If we had read, which we didn't, the previous passage, it's what in Luke, in Matthew, is called the Beatitudes, but it's full, it's the same thing here in Luke. We would have, we would have you'd see that Jesus brings a radical message about who is blessed by God. Jesus basically said that the blessed are those who are humble, hungry, hurting, harassed. It's pretty radical and hard to accept, but now he is going to give us even more radical instructions as he follows on. So it's like if, if Jesus were to announce, he would have said, okay, as everybody stood there with a shocked look on their face, he goes, that was the easy part. Now I'm going to give you the meat. Are, are you ready to hear Jesus? Are you willing to accept the radical message that he has? Are you ready to be challenged and changed? We can actually summarize this whole, all these verses that I read, verses 27 through 46 in one sentence. The main message of the rest of the passage, and we won't hit the same thing every time, it'll be in different ways, but bottom line, that short, that one message in a sentence is treat all people in your life with mercy. Treat all people in your life with mercy. This theme of mercy is the heart of this passage and the rest of this chapter of what we're going to look at. That's why in verse 36, Jesus says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. There are two questions that Jesus answers for us in this, in this chunk of scripture. First, how are we to show mercy? Which we'll look at today. And then second, the second question Jesus answers is, why are we to show mercy? Which we'll look at in other weeks. So treat people, treat all the people in your life with mercy. How is this to be practiced? What does it mean in, in real everyday life? Well, the first means that we are to show mercy by loving our enemies. Let me just read that first chunk again, what I'm going to look at, starting at verse 27. But I tell you, hear me, love your enemies, do good for those who hate you, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. 
boy, that's a, that's a tall order right there. And so how do we practice that? Well, he says, love your enemies. Statement, statements like this caused a lot of people back in Jesus' day to quit following him. There was people, and there's all kinds of stuff you can go through there where it says, and people fell away, and people quit. They couldn't take what he had to say. It was just like, this is just too radical. I don't understand it. I can't live that way, so I'm not going to follow anymore. anymore. Loving your enemies is not natural. It's, it's what we would call supernatural. You've heard the expression, tough love. Tough love. Well, this is, is real tough love. Not love that is tough on others, but tough. That, um, tough for us to, to display. And a practice in everyday life is especially difficult when dealing with difficult people. But Jesus' instructions here are very clear. We are to love our enemies no matter who they may be. We are to love those who harass us and are difficult to get along with. We are to love those who are true enemies, those who do not only harass us, but even hurt us deeply. Let's take a moment just to look at some things. What does this, what does this love mean? The, the word, the, I, don't, I don't go off in the Greek all the time, but there's a, a Greek word that's translated here as love, which is actually agape. A lot of you know that. There's a, it's like what we say love all the time. There, in the Greek, there was three or four different ways, and they use a different word every time. I, I can say, um, I love my wife, which is very endearing. It should be. And I also love pizza. Well, if I love pizza the way I love my wife, it'd be really weird. If I only loved my wife the way I love pizza, that'd be really strange and unacceptable to her. It's like, honey, oh yeah, pizza, you, what would I take here? So it's like, but the same word in our language is that. We, we say it in different ways. In the, in the Greek, it was agape, was that ultimate love. That's the love that Jesus showed to us when he died on the cross. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that, um, that also, it, it's, it, it can be broken down in this phrase in a couple different ways. And that is, it's a, it's a good, to, I, I'm ahead of myself here, so I'll back up. Quit what I forget that I just said that. The word used here, as I said, is not only does not um, does not simply imply affection, emotion, tenderness, or passion. The word agape means regard with goodwill, which is what that word is breaking, broken down in the Greek. It comes down to two different words. It means goodwill, meaning I love you with all of um, with everything about me, and that's um, so. In, that's what that word means here. So, in other words, Jesus is saying that we are to have an attitude of goodwill toward even those who are our enemies. doesn't mean just love them a little bit. It means love them with goodwill. In practice, this means that one does not have, the, have, um, have to like difficult people in order to love them. Many, many years ago, again, Renee, when uh, one night I was tucking her into bed and she, and she said to me, Dad, do you, do you like me? Little, little kid. And uh, I said, oh, honey, I like you more than words could ever, um, more than words could ever. I love you. Not only that, I love you. And, uh, and I gave her a little illustration on it. She goes, no, I know that. And she said, do you like me? I went, wow, this little, little kid is way sharper than I've ever given her credit for. And I told her, I said, oh, my word, honey, not only do I love you, I like you with all my heart. And to a little kid, that was really important because we could say love all the time. And she kind of knew in her, in her head that she loved pizza. And uh, she knew that dad loved pizza too. But she wanted to make sure that I really not only just loved her in a sacrificial way, but that I, that I liked being with her too. 
And there is a big difference. So, so here as we look at this word agape, it's like we may not always like the person that we're, that we're having to deal with, but, uh, but we do love them. Um, and we would sacrifice our life for them. That's, that's really what that comes down to. Treat all people in your life with mercy. That's the message. We do that first by loving our enemies, which means we have no ill will towards them. Rather, we have a desire to see what is best for them. Here's a little story that I came across, which uh, illustrates this really well. And it's kind of a, I'm going to just read it a lot here because I wouldn't memorize all of this. But, but anyway, this is the, the story of, um, of, it was five days before Christmas, many years ago, when a stranger approached a 10-year-old kid named Christopher Carrier, claiming to be a friend of his father. I want to buy him a gift, said the man, and I need your help. Eager to do something good for his dad, Chris climbed aboard a motorhome parked um, and parked on the street near his home. The driver then took off. He took Chris to a remote field, claiming to be lost, and asked Chris to check at a map. Suddenly, Chris felt a sharp pain in his back. The stranger had stabbed him with an ice pick. The man drove the wounded boy down a dirt road, shot him in the left temple, and left him for dead in the alligator-infested Florida Everglades. Chris lay lifeless for six days until a driver found him. Chris miraculously survived his injuries, though he was blind in his left eye. In his left eye, Because he was unable to identify his attacker, police could not make an arrest. For a long time, young Chris remained frightened um, despite police protection. Three years later, Chris trusted Christ as his savior. This was a turning point in Chris's life. At age 15, he shared his story for the first time. He eventually decided to pursue full-time ministry, helping others find the peace he had discovered only through Christ. Many years later, in uh, I don't remember what year this happened, but now it was 1996, a detective told Chris over the phone that a man had confessed to the crime that had cost him his left eye. The man's name was David McAllister. Chris made plans to visit the feeble and now blind man living in a nursing home. Chris learned from the detective some of the background of what had happened years ago. McAllister had been hired by Chris's dad to work as a nurse for an ailing uncle. Chris's dad had caught McAllister drinking on the job and had fired him. The senseless attack on Chris was revenge for that. As Chris now talked to the old man, at first McAllister denied knowing anything about the kidnapping. As Chris revealed more about himself, the old man softened and eventually apologized. Chris told him, what you meant for evil, God has turned into a wonderful blessing. Chris told his attacker how God had allowed his wounds to become open doors to share the good news of Christ. Chris went home and told his wife about the meeting, uh, about meeting the man that had tried to kill him. The entire family began almost daily visits to McAllister's nursing home. During one Sunday afternoon visit, Chris popped the most important question he had yet asked McAllister, do you want to know the Lord as your Savior? McAllister said yes. Both men based in forgiveness as McAllister gave his heart to Christ. A few days later, McAllister died peacefully. 
Carrier says that it's not a story of regret, but of redemption. I saw the Lord give that man back his life and so much more. Chris said, I can't wait to see him again someday in heaven. Amazing story. And it says that not only did he die, but he died peacefully in his sleep. And it's like he, he could never have done that even just days before that. Reminds me of the story of Joseph so much. And here it is, and, and as he said, and I'm sure he was probably quoting Joseph, what you meant for evil, God allowed for good. Are you holding a grudge against someone? That's not, that's not loving your enemy. That's not mercy. Why become bitter when you can become better, an old cliche? Am I showing mercy to difficult people in my life? Do I have ill will against them? Are you holding a grudge against anyone? It's not loving your enemies. That's not mercy. Treat all people in your life with mercy. The first way we do this is to love our enemies. The second way we are to show mercy, which means speak, um, which Jesus speaks of in verse 27, is to do good to those who hate you. Verse 27 again, but I tell you, you who hear me, the big thing on there, I kind of jumped over that, but you who hear me, it, it's huge. It's like Jesus isn't just saying stuff. He's going, hey, these things are for those of you who are going to listen to me. But I tell you, you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's so, so opposite of what our nature wants to do. Jesus is not only saying that we are to, to not hold grudges in bitterness. He is also saying that we must be merciful by doing good for the very people who hate us and do us evil. It's easy to do good for our friends, family, even strangers when they treat us good. But to ha here Jesus says, do good to the very people who hate us mistreat us and hurt us years ago i i was uh i was really slighted stabbed in the back for in a situation and as i um, had to deal with it myself just forgiving this guy and one day something happened and uh and he asked me to go meet him for lunch or coffee or whatever and, and uh, as we're sitting there he apologized for his actions against me and i said hey you're forgiven and he said, no, I, I really mean it. I'm, I, I need you to, I'm just asking for your forgiveness. And I said, I forgive you. No, I, I just can't take, take it lightly from you. I need you to forgive me. And I said, hey, buddy, I want you to know something. I dealt with my bitterness a long time ago. I forgave you. I've had to deal with it. And so now when you're asking me, I can tell you quickly, I forgive you because I really do. And uh, I already, I've already forgiven you. It's just because we verbalized it between each other now doesn't change anything. I have forgiven you. And it took him quite a while to be able to accept that. It's just like, oh, that doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, because he was sincerely being sorry and asking for forgiveness. But the thing was, I'd already forgiven him years before. Now, Satan brings that up all the time to me still. I go, okay, I forgave him. Remember that. <laughs> So it's not uh, just because we do, I say that just uh, so you know that just because we do forgive, it doesn't mean that Satan doesn't know about that and that situation isn't going to keep popping up. But, but I do have to keep on reminding myself, hey, buddy, you did forgive him. And I did. And so uh, we got, I don't drink coffee with him. I'm wondering if he's poisoned or not. No, I'm just kidding. But 
but it's but still it's like that is it's forgiving it's uh doing good not it's not just doing good it's having an attitude towards those who have hurt us sometimes we feel good about ourselves because we have not sought revenge or held a grudge and therefore we feel that we have done our christian duty but jesus instructions for dealing with all people went much farther than that he said that we need to have a positive response one of activity um, actively doing good this is what he means do good to those who hate you and he goes on and describes a bunch of that stuff this is what it means when he says i've got a radical message for you that would be hard for you to accept and i want to make sure that you're listening to what i'm saying you're not just you're not just hearing me with your ears but you're actually hearing and listening putting it into practice this this means that for your enemies that it means that um, that you love them. Treat all people in your life with mercy. Doing good to those who hate you. It also means to bless those who curse you. The word curse is meant here doesn't, doesn't mean to, to actually swear at them, but it means to wish evil to that person. To slander, malign, put down, speak evil about, think evil about. The word blessed, as it said in the previous verses that we didn't read, um, is a contraction of two Greek words. And that's what it means where you go even farther than the agape. It means good and word. So in, 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 te- in context, Jesus is clearly saying that we are to speak well or good about the people that, that do evil to us. That's even tougher, isn't it? Not only would you not think evil about them, but you'd actually do good. That's what bless means. There's agape. They're very t- um, closely related in that sense. Agape um, is meaning love, as we said, where you, you will love without, um, you know, with, uh, by sacrificial. So it's sacrificial love. And then to bless someone is to speak well of them. So here it is. It's like God is saying, I want you to, or Jesus is saying, I want you to love these people with sacrificial love. And I want you to speak well of them. It's like, holy cow, that's pretty tough. Now, I can stand up in the public and say all kinds of things, but what goes on in my head? I was just, I'm so thankful. I, if you've ever seen the movie Liar, Liar, I think of it all the time with <laughs> some stuff and that, where he couldn't help us speak the truth. It's like, I'm just thankful I've never taken that pill <laughs> because and there's a lot of things I want to tell people sometimes. And uh, Gail and I were talking about being blunt and telling the truth earlier. Sometimes that stuff still comes out. But thankfully, it's like, I'm just sometimes when somebody says something to me and shakes my hand or whatever, I just want to go liar, liar, because I know that's not what you're thinking. And, uh, and it's like, and you can be thankful I'm not, I'm not that way too. And, uh, but, but no matter what, um, it's, uh, is that we are actually being merciful in both our thought and our action. And, and more than that is you're actually going out of your way to treat them that way with honesty. When Abraham Lincoln was running for president of the United States, there was a man who ran all around the country talking about how bad Lincoln was. He said a lot of unkind things, and sometimes he would get to the point that he would even talk about, um, talk about his looks, saying, you don't want a tall, lanky, ignorant man to be the president of the United States. A lot of people think that, no matter who the president is. But, it, but, but here's the amazing part of the story. Finally, one day, Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States, And there came a time for him to choose a secretary of war. He looked across the nation and decided to choose a man by the name of Mr. Stanton. And when Abraham Lincoln stood around his advisors and mentioned this fact, they said to him, Mr. Lincoln, are you a fool? Do you know 
that Mr. Stanton has been speaking ill about you all over the country for a long time? To which Lincoln said, I know. Now, Mr. Stanton was the guy that I was talking about earlier, and, and Lincoln chose him to be his Secretary of War. And so, so here it was, Mr. Stanton did become the Secretary of War, and later, Abraham um, Lincoln, as we know, was assassinated. And, and if you go to Washington, you'll discover that one of the greatest words or statements ever made about Lincoln was by this man Stanton, who said, now he belongs to the ages. And he made a beautiful statement concerning his character and the stature of Lincoln. You may not like everything any, any politician stands for, but it's, it's pretty amazing when an enemy says that. And that's the whole point of the whole thing. It wasn't to say that, that he had no faults or anything like that. It's just to say, here's a guy that was his enemy. He still chose him and put him, to, put him in a position that was, that was very important to him at that time. If Abraham Lincoln had hated Stanton, if Abraham Lincoln had answered everything Stanton said, Abraham Lincoln would not have transformed a redeemed Stanton, and they would not have become such good friends. Treat all people in your life with mercy. So far we've seen our mental response, our attitude to be one of the, that is of agape love or goodwill, blessing people. We've seen that there are physical responses for us to do good to those who hate us. And we've seen that our verbal responses is to, um, is to speak well of those who are evil, um, who speak evil against us. All that to say, come back next time and you'll hear the rest of the story. So, uh, but there's, a, there's so much in this passage and that's just where that starts. And I just think that's a good place to stop simply because it's like today we get communion. And this is, this is uh, it brings us to communion, a celebration and remembrance of the agape love and the blessing that Jesus has done for us. So with that, let's, um, let's just, just pause and pray. Um, if I could get a couple of the guys to come up and help me out. But as, as they're doing that, I just want to just challenge you to just, this is a great time to just, uh, to just pray and, and seek the Father's forgiveness and our confession time just privately. Um, it tells us in, uh, in the word that when we have, that when we partake in communion, that we should um, make sure our hearts are right with God. So I'm just going to pause for a minute before you guys pass it out. And then uh, I'll just pray and then uh, silently pray and then Rob and Nick will pass these out.